welcome to Changing the Sales Game podcast on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Connie Whitman. As always, thank you so much for joining me. Now, my quote today is by Nelson Mandela, and he says, a leader is like a shepherd. He stays behind the flock, letting the most nimble go out ahead, whereupon the others follow, not realizing that all along, They're being directed from behind. Now, I've been in sales uh, for almost four decades. I know I gulp every time I say that. Yet, I'm often asked about marketing. Here's the deal. Sales and marketing, two very different things. And I know how to stay in my lane of sales. So don't get me wrong. I know marketing is super critical for any business, including mine. So how do I navigate that marketing labyrinth to maximize my business exposure and to get me in front of the ideal client? I hire experts. So, of course, today I have an expert. His name is Scott Miller. Uh, Back for third, fourth time, not sure. He's my brother from another mother. Uh, Scott is capping a 25-year career where he served as the chief marketing officer and executive vice president of business development and currently serves as Franklin Covey's senior advisor on thought leadership, leading the strategy and development of firms, speakers bureau, as well as the publication of podcast, webcast, best-selling books, and all of that for them. Um, Scott hosts uh, also Franklin Covey sponsored on leadership with Scott Miller. It, this is a world's largest and fastest growing leadership podcast, reaching more than 6 million people weekly. You need to tune in for all my leaders listening. Miller's also the author of award-winning multi-volumes. I love it. It's Mess to Success series, including Management Mess to Leadership Success, Marketing Mess to Brand Success, and coming out in January of 22, Job Mess to Career Success. He's a mess that turns you into success. Please Help me welcome my good friend, Scott, to the show. Scott, thanks for being on. Oh, Connie, I'm elated. I'm a raving fan of you and your program and your books. I couldn't be more honored to have you shine your spotlight on me. And it's true, you are a sister from another mother. Delighted to be back. Yeah, so happy to have you. So, Pardon pardon my fleece. It's turned winter in Utah. So it's been a cold day today. I was in a French cuff shirt for a breakfast meeting. And so I changed into a fleece because it's actually quite cold in Utah today. Well, all right. How cold? Oh, I don't know. It's in the low 40s here. So I was in Manhattan all week. It was beautiful in Manhattan, 50s and gorgeous. And so it's, it'll probably snow this weekend. I love it. We're not getting so. It's about 40 here in Jersey. Yesterday was 70. So yeah, you went from the East Coast heat. Thanks. You brought your, you brought the cold weather with you. I appreciate that. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about your role within the marketing and communication team, right? Um, Often probably felt like the rest of the organization was doing off their own thing and you're trying to do things. How did you kind of bring it all together? So the messaging for the company when you worked there it was consistent. Well, this is a big challenge, right? I mean, you're never, you're always tacking. You're, you're, you're always bringing people closer together to a center line message, especially yep. in entrepreneurial companies where people have a, a version of the value proposition. They have a version of the corporate messaging. And, you know, you don't want to snuff out people's, uh, their curiosity and their own style. Not everybody likes to use the same word. So there needs to be some level of flexibility, if you will, some elasticity to allow you allow for people's personalities and their own vocabularies at the same time, Absolutely. making it clear who are we and what are we doing and how are we different and why should clients care? I was the chief marketing officer for a decade of this global company, Franklin Covey, by most measures, the world's largest and most influential leadership firm. 
But what I learned, Connie, is that if you if you if you keep the messaging so tight, people will rebel. And if you're so loose, people will go out and you know go off the ranch, so to speak. So there's this calibration of educating people on the clarity of the message and then making helping them make it their own. Not necessarily make all their own slip sheets and all their own corporate brochures, right? You can't buy pizza at um, Kentucky Fried Chicken, I don't think. Maybe in Beijing, but not in America. Nope. So we, we're pretty strict on our standards. But I also learned that if you don't, if you're so strict, then people will hide their initiatives, right? They'll, they won't talk about what they're incubating. You have to make sure that as the, you know, the marketing communications leader, that people feel safe telling you, I'm trying this. How do you feel about this? I, mean, I like that, but let's let's tighten that up. I just don't think you can rule with a hammer. You've got to be clear in expectations and then give people a local of level autonomy that allows them to test and incubate and maybe even improve on occasion. That isn't to say people can add their own colors to the logo. No, they cannot add their own mission or vision or values. No, you're very clear on what the guidelines are, but also let people know that we're not the geniuses in the corporate headquarters. You're going to learn things. You're going to test things. And I'd like to know what they are so that I can decide, should we mature? Should we adopt that as well? There's a fine line between empowerment and abandonment or, or, yeah. or just kind of strict rules. And, and, you know, the boundaries, but we're human. So the boundary is the boundary. How am I interpreting that boundary? So that reiteration, that messaging, and you say it, it's not just the marketing, it's the communication internally, as well as communication externally, but everybody has to be on the same page. The other thing you said, which struck me funny, because when I teach my class and you know me well enough, Scott, I, I just did a workshop yesterday and I always ask the question, who do you think is the secret sauce in this, in the sales process? And it's funny people. People go, you, and I say me, Connie Whitman, or you, you know, Scott Miller. And they're like, no, you. And I wrong, man, you're the secret sauce in how you communicate with your, with your clients or prospects, whoever it might be. So we, it's the same thing. You're setting boundaries, you're setting the framework, but then when you talk about your position, right, if you're talking with a client or prospect on your end, you have to stay within the confines of the room, but you can decorate it any way you want. Like let your person personality almost shine so I well think said that, right that's really the said. important piece that's we right. don't want to take people's personality out of it but we need to have that consistency otherwise we have a mess and you also can over script people and they can become robotic yes. or you can tell when it's not their own that isn't to say that you can use all the own words you want to use no no here is our value proposition here is our messaging here's our expertise but you do have to kind of make it your own because at the end of the day, if you've got a sales force, which we do, right? Hundreds of people that are highly paid. Our clients are buying as much from our company as they are from them. They're buying from their trustworthiness and their own That's credibility. Right. And so you don't want to overscript your team or they'll rebel against you. Well, because it- I don't know, Scott. It's hard to talk like you. It's hard to talk like me. Why would you tell someone my way is the right way? You have to speak the way I speak or, or share the information, the order I go in or the way. Right. Maybe I think it's good for me, but you might have success, you know, communicating from a different perspective. I tried that. I tried that early in my sales career, lining up 15 salespeople and teaching them how I present it. And then videotaping them like a jackass. No, 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 not that word. No, no, I do this with my arm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not alone. I'm admitting this. I look back and think, oh I love gosh, it. I was horrible. Elaine can't do what I do. And I can't do what Elaine does. And if I could do it over, I would say, I'm going to do mine. And I want you to write down all the things you like and don't like. 
That's and then right. what would you do to make it your own? Here's what, here's some things that are non-negotiable, 10%. Let's just say I've matured. I, I laugh at that because here's the thing. Life is life. We learned our positions. We learn managing coaching. We learn. So it is when you look back in your lifetime, I, I know I, when I, when I look back when I was coaching in my 20, I thought I had no business coaching. <laughs> like that was a big, big now you should be a therapist to fix them for what you taught them 40 years ago. Right? 100%. How funny is that? All right. If you were to give someone advice on how to cut through all of that, right. To become part of the conversation or be at the table, if you well, uh, from the start, what, what would you su- suggest so people can be heard? So is your question, Connie, about how to build influence inside your organization or how to be a trusted advisor to clients outside? Which of those paths would you want me to take? I think let's talk about talking about becoming an advisor outside. Yeah. So really, how does a salesperson gain trust and influence with their clients through their communication yeah, I'm curious what you think. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think first is recognizing your percentage of listening versus speaking. Because we all have a default style, right? I, I, you and I are, are brothers and sisters. I think we probably have matured into being better listeners, but we're also very competent communicators. You and I are in influence mode. We're in persuasion mode. We're in selling mode. We're proud of that. Yes. But I think so first is to understand what is your balance between listening and speaking? And it probably is different in every setting. And the more self-aware you are, the more emotionally agile you are, you'll know when should I be in a 70-30 or a 30-70 or a 50-50 or a 90-10 because it's different in every situation. That's the first thing I'd say is know your audience. Know when do they want you to take charge or when is it best that you take a step back and listen to them and uncover? That's the first thing I would say. Yeah. And that's not easy. That requires you to be extremely socially and emotionally aware of the room, of the power differential. Are you talking the same language? Is what you call leadership, but they call effectiveness? Is what you call productivity, they call client retention? I mean, are you speaking the same language? That requires you constantly adapting and understanding your style to the environment. One, check. Number two, I would say, is also just making and keeping commitments. Small things. I'll email you information this afternoon. That's not tomorrow. So just small things like, are you building a reputation to where you are trusted? And make sure the client knows, as promised, here is this thing I promised you today, right? Versus tomorrow saying, I apologize, I got busy. No, don't make commitments you can't keep, but your client will begin to recognize when you make and keep commitments. I think another thing is um, not trying to be the smartest person in the room. (laughs) Right. It's, it's tempting, right? As we want to be geniuses, we want to impress our clients that your job is not to be the genius. Your job is to ignite the genius that's in the room. That may require you to ask big, bold questions. It may require you to ask questions that you might feel uncomfortable with, move outside your comfort zone. When you say that, do you mean this or do you mean that? Or I want to make sure I understand what you mean when you say that. I think just being really socially, emotionally aware of What's going on in the room virtually or, or physically with, you know, with a virtual sales force with many of us now, it's harder to read the body language. It's hard to understand who has the power, who has the budget. What is the decision-making process? You may have to ask more questions than you used to be able to kind of read the room, right? There's a whole different level of skill when it comes to gaining influence. Generally, I would say overall, know when to play big, know when to play small. Know when is your time to shine. When is their time to shine? 
that takes a level of self-awareness and emotional maturity that everybody can always be improving on. And and it's true. Sometimes we have to be in observation mode. Put I say put the virtual duct tape on, right? And you got to start listening. And I think the attention span of a human is six cents, uh, six seconds, and a goldfish is seven seconds. So I, you're right, Scott. When we say listen, we're not saying that's an easy task, but we really do have to practice it. And it's funny. I'm visual. I think you're a visual learner too, right? Two ears, one mouth. We really should be listening twice as much as we speak at at minimum. Go ahead. You wanted to add. It's, it's so well said because I think this is a broad generalization. People that are your followers, that are your clients, they're obviously in sales. Everybody's in sales, as you know, but yeah. some are, some have an actual, you know, revenue goal, right? Where they're right. responsible. Right. I think it's counterintuitive. I think it's more difficult for people who are in sales to listen because we are always in persuasion, influence, and selling selling mode. It's why we're successful. It's why we close the deals. It's why we actually meet our quarterly quotas because we have a sales mindset. We want to communicate. We want to influence. We want to move someone to our end in mind. I think it's more difficult for us. Give yourself permission to recognize how difficult it is, that it's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense to you. How am I going to move someone towards my goal if I'm not persuading them or I'm not sharing them facts? So give yourself permission to recognize you probably aren't great at it if you're in sales. You're probably great at it if you're a principal of elementary school or you're a social worker or perhaps you're you know, a physician that requires you to understand. By the way, most physicians aren't great listeners because they're quite prescriptive in their process. That's right. But give yourself permission to fail, to recognize perhaps how bad you are at it because the fact of the matter is, Connie, most people listen with the intent to respond not with the intent to understand. And it yep. may require you to move outside your comfort zone, to hold back, to, to kind of quote you, to kind of close your lips and just kind of, you know, step on your toe and listen more. Yep. And maybe and, be uncomfortable with silence. I hate silence. And some of the best salespeople have to become more comfortable with silence to allow their client to disclose more and to think about things versus having them on your timeline. It's a challenge for me. It is a challenge. And here's the thing, Scott, you and I, we fire fast. We think fast. Somebody asks a question. We're boom. We're answering. We're in answer mode, right? Because we fire fast. But probably 80% of people, they don't communicate like us. So when we ask a question, right, we're thinking fire, fire. I need a response. And they're being super thoughtful because they're much more, uh, not slower. Deliberate. Right. But processing, they're thinking, whoa, that was a good question. Let me think about it. So I really answer with intent. And we're like, uh, 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 and we're asking the next question because that, that couple of seconds of silence feels awkward. You have to give people the, the, the breath, the, the the, uh, availability of taking a step back thinking about your question and responding and sales it's hard because we want to come in and say i know your problem i have the solution because we're enthusiastic but you gotta listen before you even open your mouth with a recommendation yeah i love that said, and i think the fact to take it a step further is most salespeople have a quota you have a quarter you have a goal yeah. and, and so subconsciously you're on your agenda you're on your agenda yes you for us more seasoned people like you and i to say this, but the advice is you got to move off your agenda. You got to move off your time frame, your needs, and do your best to get onto your client's time frame and t- their needs yes. because they'll know when you're pushing them. 
they'll feel when you're on your time frame. I once heard something, and maybe it was even from you, Connie, because you've got such a... Uh, I am brilliant. Four, four, decades, <laughs> true, four decades, but, you know, I, 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 this idea was that, you know, some of the best salespeople have memorized their own sales quotas, but the really best salespeople have memorized their clients' sales quotas. They know what the client's goals are. And they're generally stepping off of their own agenda. They're getting in to say, how do I help you meet your goals? Not my goals, your goals. And that takes some maturity. I wasn't there in my 20s. Were you? I wasn't there. Um, Yeah, I think I was actually in my 20s. But but here's why. Not... I don't know why I never worried about my goals because I thought if I do this behavior and I perfect the phone, how I present the questions I ask, and I keep reiterating that that was my focus for me to learn, to get better, not the money. I don't know if that makes sense. It totally so, makes sense. Although yeah. I also have the yard crew is out now, of course, right now with the wind blower, the blowers oh, that's blowing the backyard. I can't hear it, Scott. Good. So you're good. Yes. Yeah, so that your good. microphone must be good. It's, it's, only capturing your voice. So we're good. But it's pretty but, large too. So that's good. Yeah. And it's funny because I remember even in my twenties, when I was selling insurance, I would sit with the person and knew they couldn't afford the insurance. So I would help them create a budget so that they could get a little money in the bank. And then the, let's say the $50 a month, whatever for the life insurance. As soon as I knew they had the cash flow there, I would say, now you're ready to buy the insurance because before you would have spent $500 after six months and you wouldn't have had the insurance and you were out $500. So let's put the, the horse before the cart. And the funniest is because I wasn't making money when I was doing that though, Scott, this is the coolest part. They be, those people that I helped do that, they sent me all of their friends, all of their family, all of the people they worked with. So they became my like best referral source. So that $50 a month of, of the premium, I probably sold $5,000 a month worth of, of premium. You see what I'm saying? So I was always highly aware of that dynamic, I guess. I was not. I probably did not mature into that until my 30s. Now, I worked You're for a man. I worked for, I worked, it's a, it's a true statement. I worked for a public company in my twenties and have my whole life. And sometimes the pressures are a bit different in terms of your quarterly performance, right? Than yeah. Yeah. Something more entrepreneurial. Yeah. yeah. It could be also don't laugh guys and girls. Um, guys are typically, and, and especially, you know, Scott, you know, 20 years ago for me, 40 years ago, men were absolutely more aggressive than they, than the girls today. So, you know, there's, there's that cultural thing happening, I think, especially in the United States. So, yeah, so that makes sense to me. Next question. All businesses need marketing, including mine, right? Some have a a harder time maybe affording it than others. What's one of the easiest and maybe lowest or uh, cost entry points um, that you would recommend? And then what would that look like and how would you implement? Does that make sense? Of course it does. It's obviously situational, right? Because I'm I'm a big fan and I write about it in the book, Marketing Master Brand Success. I'm a big fan of a sort of complemented orchestra. You're probably going to have some direct mail. Yes, it still works. You're going to have some online social media. You're going to have some maybe even print advertising or email marketing or your podcast or your blog or whatever it is, right? right. Mm-hmm. I, would, I wouldn't say it's all of one or all of another. You mentioned the answer to your question, which, of course, is the referral business. Let me take it a step further. Is I think what too many marketers miss, and that is deeply understanding the circumstance your ideal client is in. 
Like what is their exact circumstance? Is it a father of a, of a newborn baby who's the breadwinner of the family and therefore he needs life insurance, whether he knows it or not? He probably doesn't need term. He probably needs whole. He might need disability, but getting very clear on who is my market and what is their circumstance? Because my circumstance at age 53 is different than when I was 23, right? I didn't need life insurance, although I might've looked like I did. I was single. I didn't need life insurance. Quite frankly, I had enough money for a casket. Morbid, but true. I think the first point is to understand. Well, but it's true, though, right? I have three kids now. I, my insurance is different. My needs are different than when I absolutely, you know, right? absolutely. And so, I think it's the first is to pay the price to deeply understand what is the circumstance your ideal client is in, because people who are in that circumstance often know others as well, right? When I was a first-time father. And I had one child, I probably knew eight or 10 first-time fathers that were probably also in white-collar jobs. They could afford $18 a month on you know, a million-dollar life insurance policy or whatever it is. And so when you understand the circumstance your ideal client is in, then they can refer you to others as long as you are trustworthy and they can keep commitments and they want to put their reputation on the line for you. I think the second thing is to recognize that you can't boil the ocean. I think so many of us spend marketing dollars and investments in trying to make everybody aware of our product. You know what? Not everybody is your customer. Not everyone is your customer, including if you are selling life insurance or you're selling donuts on Sunday mornings or acrylic nails or shampoo. Is Too often, we hear this phrase, your total addressable market, your TAM, right? And that's good if you're putting together a proposal for a small business administration loan, or you're trying to get some VC funding. But the fact of the matter is, to quote Seth Godin, a dear friend of mine and a great marketing mind, poppycock, it should be your smallest viable market. Who is the first person that should be buying your product? What is her name? What are her likes? What is her life like? And develop a persona around her and start looking for lookalikes. And when you land her, metaphorically, make her wildly invested in your success and have her become your biggest champion, your promoter. And she will go out and help find you new customers because they care about you. They love you. They want to see your success. That might sound like pablum, but it's so true. Yeah. Get clear on your ideal client circumstance and then have them help you find lookalikes and then make sure you're not trying to just say and spray. Do not spread your money across everybody in your zip code. Get very clear metaphorically, who in my zip code should be my client and message directly to them? Yeah, I love what you started with, with the referral. So it's funny. And you know, right, 2020 COVID hit my business. I, I don't, I think you guys even stopped going in, right? Everything went remote. Sure. But months. all of my clients, everything was live prior to COVID. Yeah. And all my clients called me and said, stop, we can't, we're done. Okay. And I thought, oh, like, what do I do? I was training three or four days a week. What do I do? So I, I really got on the learning train because I thought, okay, COVID, I don't think this thing is going away. Fast forward. It's not right. But I thought, whoa, what, what control do I have? What can I do? So for me, it's like, okay, zoom, we're on zoom. Let me start networking, finding my people in the networking realm so we can support each other referral. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Affiliate referrals, whatever you want to want to call it. And it was fascinating at the end of this whole learning curve, Scott, you know what I found is still the most important thing? One-on-one -on -one communication, 
supporting and referring someone like me referring to you, you referring to when we know each other, we trust each other easily. I can refer to you. That's where the bulk of my new business, my corporate clients are still my corporate clients, right? That arm of the business, 20 years, it's kind of rocking it. But now this new division with smaller business owners, it's a whole, it's a whole different ball game, but I'm finding that one-on-one and that one-on-one referral, my business is expanding exponentially on that division. So the referral is just so important. And I think it not only salespeople, Scott, everybody, we need a referral. We need a network that we can leverage. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but that we can build our community that now I know I have a Scott in my corner and I have a Joe and I have a Pam and I know who I trust. I vetted that I can share with my community of people hiring me. It becomes this whole labyrinth, right? Of, of um, uh, like the, yes. the spider web, right? That's what I'm trying to say. But referrals is still, is still so critical. As a marketing tool, not just a sales tool. I, I, yeah. Let me yeah. test something on. Let me test something on you. Hey, Connie. Uh, what's a podcast do you think I should be a guest on, other than yours, that their audience might benefit from me? Uh, what podcast host do you know that might want to feature me on it? I, I uh, several just came to mind, but Adam oh. Shibley. Oh, okay, go ahead. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. I just proved your point. People ask me all the time. How do I get referrals? You ask. Yep. And you ask after Connie feels like I am a viable podcast guest, right? She's been on. She knows me. She's followed my social. She thinks I'm legit. I showed up on time. I brought my game, hopefully. And so that's the point, right? Is I, I, By the way, I don't need you for that right now. And you don't need me for that. But you've asked me occasionally. I've asked you because I'm credible and you trust me. But I asked you. And you, and I interrupted you. You were going to name three or four for me, but that's the point is, is how you get referrals is you ask for them, but you also ask for them after Connie feels comfortable recommending me. I didn't ask you the first time you interviewed me, right? I've hopefully you asked me to do a favor and I delivered on it. You invited me in the podcast or I asked you to, and so I'm hopefully building credibility with you and I'll bet you. That if you needed something from me, you could call me up and I would deliver. And the same for you because we've built trust with each other and we're willing to ask each other for help. That's how you get referrals. And it's interesting because see, probably don't remember in 2020, what was the other thing I did? I wrote my book yes. and Scott and I had built this beautiful relationship. He yeah. was on my show a couple of times with his yeah. mess, you know, mess to madness uh, series, right? The, the management to mess. And every time he had a book, I'm like, man, let's do another show. It's always great content. And then when I published my book, I asked Scott to do my forward. Yeah. And it, the response was I'm honored. And of course, so again, I, after meeting him for the first time, that would have been a weird request because he didn't know me. But as we got to know each other, it was an easy ask, right? I mean, it what it took you time, which I am very grateful for. But that's you the made, idea. You had made an impression on me. But I remember where I was when I either took your I was in a corner bakery. Have you ever heard of corner bakery? It's like a chain, like Maggiano's owns this. They're like bakeries around the nation. They're called literally called corner bakery. Okay. I remember where I was. And when you called me or emailed me and asked, I remember I was getting some coffee. And I remember having this impression. Oh, yeah, that's the lady from New Jersey who's a sales expert who has that podcast. And I had a very positive impression of you. We didn't know each other extremely well, but we had a couple Ooh. of engagements. Yep. And you made an indelible reputation. Like, yeah, I could align with her. I could, I'd, be, I'd be honored to. I've said no to many forwards. I've said no to many endorsements. Yep. But you had behaved yourself into 
a reputation of being credible with me. And the ask made total sense. Yes. And that's, that's the critical piece. Don't just go around saying, can you refer? Can you refer? I'm looking for business. I'm looking. That's so obnoxious. And can I tell you repulsive? So that's, that's exactly what we're talking about. Not doing. I have another question. Last question in terms of learning from your marketing efforts, right? um, To to just be more effective with your uh, producing content, because that's another question I get. Where do I get the content from? What are some of, yeah. What are some things you would recommend there? Yeah. Uh, so a couple of thoughts. There's an extraordinary book written by a man named Donald Miller. I think Donald Miller is one of the greatest. There's, I think there are probably two great marketing minds in the U.S. They both happen to be males. There's lots of others. Nancy Duarte is a great communication expert, huge fan with Nancy. Seth Godin and Donald Miller. Donald Miller wrote a book called Build a Story Brand. Phenomenal marketing book. I encourage all your listeners to read it. But Donald talks about how most people's messaging is like a cat chasing a rat in a wind chime factory. Is that most people's messages is so confusing. And it's all about you and your journey and your grandfather's trip from Italy over on the boat. And not everybody cares about that. People have got to be able to see their themselves, their problem, their growth, their solution in your messaging. Your messaging needs to be about your client, not about you. I'll get to your question in a moment. That's the first thing to overcome. Most of us want to talk about our PhD or our 30 years of experience and where our office is located and how many languages. Not everybody cares. There's a time. No one's going to hire you based on that. They're going to hire you because you're using the words that they're using to solve a problem that they have. This requires a level of interviewing and introspection to understand what is it they're concerned about? What problems do they have? Not what problems are you trying to solve? What problems do they have? Yep. What is their job to be done? I love this quote from Clayton Christensen that said, you know, no one goes in to buy a nine inch drill. They go in to buy a nine inch hole. (laughs) They want a nine inch hole, right? They want to hang their TV or whatever the metaphor is, right? People are really hiring. They're not buying a drill to buy a drill. They're buying a drill to hang a TV. And the same for you, you should be thinking about my messaging needs to be simple and clear, and my clients need to see themselves in it. Is your messaging a cat chasing a rat in a wind chime factory? I'll bet you have more content than you think you do. Here's what I would ask yourself. What information or opinions or experiences do I have that would interest other people? You You might be a hairstylist. And you've got some expertise on extensions. You might be a hairstylist around a new permanent solution that does this. You might, you know, be a massage therapist. You might be a house painter. You might be a chiropractor. You might be an event planner. I, you should start to write down what are the things I know that other people might find valuable. And you know what? Don't check your ego. Use some arrogance. Don't, don't say I have nothing. I have lots of things I know that others could find useful. Right. So you might you might need to build yourself some confidence up, and then you've got content. It might be a hundred word blog. It might be a tweet. It might be a social post. It might be an article in Ink Magazine. Whatever it is, ask yourself what is it I know that other, from my experience that other people could find valuable, and then keep it super simple. That go out to your clients and say, uh, when you're in a meeting. And you're talking about hitting your XYZ quota. 
can you role play that meeting with me? What are the words you use? What are the challenges you use? Because a lot of us are so self-referenced, right? I mean, here's a good example. I hired a marketing person in the company once and I was in a meeting and I used the word stewardship because although I'm a Catholic, I work in a predominantly Mormon environment and the word stewardship is a, by most means, kind of a religious term. But we use it in our company to describe roles and responsibilities. It's not meant to be a religious term, but it's just part of our vocabulary, right? I have stewardship over this. And I used it once, and this person said, like, do I have to go to church? Like, what, what, what the hell is that? And she's like, no one says that word. But I had become so used to using that word sure. that she thought I was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> well, yeah. I know. But, but the point is, make sure you're using the words in your messaging and your content that your clients use so they don't have to decipher it. So when you say this, do you mean that? Make sure you're using your clients' words to describe their problems. Yeah, because it's the filter, right? Everybody has a filter. So if we're using our word because we think stewardship is right, and they're thinking, oh, you mean being part of the community, right? Or that I'm leading that or whatever it is, their perception is, we have to make sure we're using their words. It's funny, I have, um, I rebranded this year and thus changing the sales game is the the new name of the podcast. But anyway, I had to hire a photographer, which wasn't fun. And we did these lifestyle shots. And as we were going along, you know, we're in the car and we're talking and and different uh, spots that we went to. And I said to him, you know, you should create a lead magnet because you do all these events. And, and I started just giving business advice unsolicited, but that's who I am. And he was like, uh, like what? And I said, dude, you're lighting the way you use lighting and the, and the apparatus I'm in my office. I need to do more social shots when I'm, I'm hosting a podcast or I'm um, facilitating a zoom meeting. Like I could do a shot, but I don't know how to do that with the phone. Number two, where is my lighting? Not really sure. And then what lighting do I get? I don't even know. And he looked at me and I go like, do you have links on Amazon for that stuff? He goes, yeah. I go, can you put together a real short little tutorial for that one thing? Thing, taking a social media photo while I'm doing my thing. Right. And he was like, uh, yeah, that's I never content. That's content. content. Right there. It was in his head. Yes. Never thought yes. would people need that. I'm like, yes. yes, I'm asking you for it. Yes. Yeah. You, you brought a beautiful illustration to my point. Check, you know, check your humility and be confident that you do have more content than you think you do. Write mm-hmm. it down, validate it, and just make sure that you're, that you're talking with the lighting and the words that Connie understands. That's exactly right. Don't talk as the photographer, the F right. slap or whatever that nonsense is. Don't That's right. right. But if you keep it con, put it on a 45 degree angle, have the blinds closed in your thing, right? You yeah, give me very specific steps. I could duplicate that. That's the idea, Scott. And I agree. I think we have more content. I think people get in their own head. Who would want to know that? Everybody knows that. Right. Your zone of genius doesn't mean everybody knows that you. So I love the other thing you said is test it. Like when I said that to him, he'd go, who hot, who would do that? I go every business own owner. I know we're all yeah. commiserating and complaining about the stupid photos and you have the inside scoop. How much money could you make off that? Yeah. Right. Right. All right, guys. So I know sales. This is why you have one of the I know. sales. Isn't it, Scott, I can't unsee things. I see things and I go, Oh, you know, and, and this is the other thing I don't say. Oh, I have a thought. This is what I say. Scott, you know what you should do? I know. Very bossy. Well, yeah, I would just call that a um, outward processor. You have a thought and you express it. I can relate. We're, hey, we're related. Of course. I'm you telling can. you, dude, man, really brother from another mother. We have guys, different accents, but yeah, different accents. Yes. You're Utah. I'm, I'm Jersey. I'm a Jersey girl. Guys, I, 
listen to me. I know you need Scott. He's he's a master at what he does. Buy his books, Marketing Mess. The Marketing Mess, Management Mess. Marketing Mess to Brand Success. The other one is Management Mess to Leadership Success. And I've, if you visit me on my website or social, you'll see all the other books that I've launched and am launching in the coming months and years. And here's the deal. Go to scottjeffreymiller.com. Everything is there. Here's the cool thing. I've read every one of uh, Scott's books. There is nuggets of information, even me being seasoned because I'm hot and spicy, right? But even with you know almost four decades of experience, guys, I learn something every time I read one of Scott's books. The other thing from a value perspective, Scott gets it. He's very human in how he approaches and writes. And it's very, it's an easy, read and i don't say that lightly it's very easy to understand and then implement his suggestions so go to scott jeffrey miller i highly recommend every book he he offers it it, it's a definite must read christmas is coming wonderful stocking stuffers for leaders and and people who are emerging leaders perhaps your kids and family members who are looking to create those good habits shortcut yourself by the book scott jeffrey miller.com um scott any last little tip before I close the show out. No, I, I love talking with you. You have, uh, you have a great ability to take abstract thoughts and put them into practical suggestions. I, I like being Thank associated you. with you. Thank you friends. so much. Yeah, me, me too, Scott. I just love, I love our time together. And when the new book comes out, guys, yes, you can be sure it's going to be in January. Um, you have a pre-order, right? I'm sure, Scott. I do. You can just visit scottjeffreymiller.com and learn all about it. Yep. Yeah. Buy it. And I'm sure that we'll do a show before, after that, uh, that book is out as well. I I really would like to dig in and talk about some of the feedback you get after that book publishes. Um, I just think people are reading more too, Scott. So I'm just really curious about what the repercussion is after people read your books. What are their takeaways? What are the magic moments for them? I think that's important. And I think my listeners would super appreciate that those tangible stories for them to think, Oh, wait a minute. That's me. I need the book or I need to hire Scott. So yeah, let's, let's stay in touch and do that. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Love, love hanging out with you. Listen, happy holidays. Yeah. Same happy holidays. Love to you and your family safe and happy uh, new year coming up. You guys, I hope you will join me weekly as we question, build and discover together. Don't care where you are in your business realm. Hopefully my guests and I really provide some good insight for you. Take, take the tips suggestions, strategies, whatever it is we talk, apply them. Hearing information is a wonderful thing. Doing something with the information and applying it, that's where the magic happens. That's where the results in your life, business, whatever, or your professional career apply, results happen, magic starts happening. Um, Thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate you joining me every week. I truly am honored to have you on this journey of business growth with me. Scott, thank you again, my friend, everyone. I'll see you next week. Have a great week. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with your friends. Tune in every week for more exciting insights and strategies on increasing your business's ROI. And always remember, lead with heart and your sales will follow.